This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thousands of Illinois residents remain hospitalized with COVID-19, even as the state trends downward from its Omicron peak. And now with a new stealth subvariant spreading across the country and around the world, it can be hard to know whether we're headed in the right direction. Well, each week on the program, Dr. Mia Taramina helps keep us up to speed on the latest public health guidance. She's an infectious disease specialist with Dooley Health and Care, and she joins us now. Hi, doctor. Welcome back. Hey, Sasha. So Illinois reported more than 123,000 new cases over the past week, doctor, along with 84 deaths. Is this uh, is this largely due to Omicron? It is. At this point, the vast majority of all cases are going to be the Omicron variant. It's over 99% of all cases that we're seeing nationwide. So the cases that we're seeing now and the deaths we're seeing now, the vast majority, unless people were infected earlier in December, um, are all going to be Omicron. Chicago area hospitals are also um, starting to resume elective surgeries after the latest surge. But I want to be clear, elective doesn't necessarily mean cosmetic. Give us a sense of what these healthcare workers are dealing with, doctor. Yeah, you know, we we have to make so many changes and we've had to go back and forth on our uh, plans when it comes to different type of, of surge plans in hospitals when we need beds and we need access. We have to limit things like an elective surgery. And again, that doesn't mean cosmetic, as you said, that might be a knee replacement or that might be that shoulder replacement or even something like a gallbladder removal that's being done electively might have to be postponed. Even more concerning are things like cancer surgeries that postponing even by a week or two or three could start to become something that goes from uh, an elective procedure to a more urgent procedure. So it's good that we're seeing numbers coming down, that we're having that bed space in our hospitals free up so that we can start doing these elective procedures, take care of our patients and, you know, get room for everybody and care for everybody that needs care. Let's talk about masks for a moment. Uh, Major pharmacy chains like Walgreens and CVS, they're starting to hand out these free N95s from the federal government. So remind us why they're more effective than the regular cloth masks. You know, we have been wearing face coverings now for so long, and we've had these disputes back and forth as to if they work, if they don't work, what works better, what doesn't work as well. And we know that an N95 mask is going to filter out the most amount of virus and virus particles, especially contained in droplets and aerosols. The most important thing, by my view, is the fact that the N95 is going to protect the wearer significantly more. Um, We know that any face covering that we're using is better than no face covering in the sense that if we cough or sneeze, it's going to block some of those droplets. But if you're on the receiving end and using a simple cloth mask or maybe even a simple paper surgical mask, you have multiple opportunities uh, to receive that virus still and be infected from it. So in a context where everyone is wearing an N95, that's going to be the safest possible scenario because it both the wearer and the infected individual are going to have some ability to block this virus. And N95s, they aren't the only high quality masks on the market, right? Correct. There are KN95s and there are, you know, to be clear, there's no such thing as an N95 for children. So we'd be looking at KN95s 
we're looking at masks that are going to be more four and five layer masks now. And to the extent that these are becoming available and for free, everyone should be putting those cloth masks on the shelf unless you're really just running in and out of a store to grab something. Um, the reality is if you're going to be in an indoor setting for any type of prolonged period of time, the standard should be one of these N95 or KN95 type masks. We've had uh, major issues with testing facilities here in the Chicago area. Several pop-up sites we know are now being investigated for wrongdoing. What do you say to listeners, Dr. Teramina, who, who wonder whether they can trust the results of these tests? You know, if you have any questions regarding results that you've received and are are questioning the validity of those, please speak with your physicians about a a commercial testing lab or a hospital-based or clinic-based lab that will likely give more reliable results than some of these pop-up sites. If you are testing negative at a pop-up site and you are symptomatic, presume you have COVID and seek more appropriate testing otherwise to make sure that we're not missing something here. I think a similar result is is waiting days and days and days to even get results from some of these sites or not getting them at all. Right now, the turnaround times are getting a little better. So if it's been more than 48 to 72 hours and you still haven't heard about your results, please contact your physician because we may be able to do some testing elsewhere and get results more expeditiously. You know, officials say that we are past the Omicron peak, but then we get word of a new stealth Omicron variant. It's been reported and it hasn't been reported in Chicago just yet. So should we be worried? So this is one of many variations along the way that we have kept our eyes on epidemiologically. It's otherwise known as the BA2 variant of Omicron. Well, the original Omicron strain is BA1. And the part that makes it be known as the stealth variant is when individuals were becoming infected with COVID and we needed to know rather quickly if it was Delta or Omicron, there were certain tests and strategies and and genomic lookups that we can do very quickly to identify Omicron. This variant is a little bit different in that it can't be detected and tested for as quickly. There's potentially an additional step in there. But clinically speaking, it does not appear so far to be causing any more severe illness. It may have a slight epidemiologic advantage, might be tiny bit more contagious than the original uh, Omicron BA1. That could and has in some countries kind of prolonged that peak. We're coming down on the other end of the peak. So if BA2 becomes a concern, what we would likely see is not as quickly of a decline. We would still be seeing cases of Omicron, but maybe not that fall off that we want to see as rapidly as we can. So we'll keep our eye on it. It's not a variant of concern. Mm -hmm. All available therapeutics that are working for Omicron in the original strain, all of our vaccines, all of our tests will still work for BA2. Some drug companies are beginning trials for a tweaked vaccine that targets the Omicron variant. Here's Illinois Public Health Director Dr. Ngozi Ezeke speaking about this on Friday. Timing is everything. And so you obviously can't have the vaccine the day that the variant comes out. And so by the time uh, the vaccine might be available, Omicron might be in the rearview mirror. Doctor, I know that we're past the Omicron peak, as we just talked about, but could a new adapted vaccine give us a leg up on the next variant, maybe? 
It's possible. And the technology that we use to tweak these variants or to tweak these vaccines for specific variants will continue to be something we need to leverage in case we do have a scenario where we need to roll something out quickly or potentially if something like BA2 were to slow our roll and we weren't able to get to the place we need to be with, you know, Omicron being fully in the rearview mirror. So for certain people, a variant specific vaccine may be indicated. The most important message I give to folks who ask me about variant-specific vaccines is do not wait for them. If you are eligible for a booster, you get the booster that you are able to receive as soon as you are able to receive it. We can worry about supplemental doses and variant-specific boosters if needed when they come around. So don't be waiting for a variant-specific booster. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and that is our infectious disease specialist, Dr. Mia Taramina. She is giving us the rundown on the latest pandemic news. Um, Doctor, what can you tell us about the two newly authorized antiviral pills that are being used to treat COVID? Yeah, so we do have two oral antivirals, and this is an important thing that we need to have in our arsenal of treatment because we had had multiple monoclonal antibody therapies uh, a month or two ago, and two of them are not working for the Omicron variant. So we're looking at only one monoclonal therapy, citrovimab, as having significant effect against Omicron, which means that there's going to be demand that far outweighs the supply. And this is where we really need to leverage, hopefully, an increasing slowly but surely mm-hmm. access to the oral antivirals Paxlovid, which is Pfizer's product, and Molnipiravir, which is Merck's product. Both are five-day treatments. Both need to be taken as soon as possible after diagnosis, and both of them uh, have a, a decent impact against decreasing severe COVID hospitalization and death in those who are at greatest risk whether they're having a novel infection or a breakthrough infection with COVID, of having a severe course. So Pfizer's pill, Paxlovid, appears to be outperforming Molnipiravir by quite a bit. So um, if that's the, the medication that I could preferentially use, I would. However, for certain candidates, Molnipiravir may be an ideal medication as well to help um, get over the hump if there's a concern for potential serious adverse events. Where do we get these pills? And do we need a prescription? You do need a prescription. So you also need a positive test. This is not something that we can take at this point as what we call post-exposure prophylaxis if you're simply worried that you've been exposed. So positive test, speak with your physician as soon as possible, and a prescription is necessary. These uh, are quite limited in supply across the state. Fortunately, we're starting to have uh, both government websites and websites like goodrx.com that have interactive maps and locators so you can see where there is a supply available. Hopefully make a couple of quick phone calls to make sure that there's a supply available to you and then have that prescription sent there and pick up that medication and start taking it um, as soon as you can get your hands on it. So you, you mentioned the positive COVID test there. I think it's time for a good quick refresher, doctor. What should folks do when they test positive for COVID? What are the first steps? How long should they quarantine, et cetera? Always good to touch base on that, especially with this whole Omicron surge that we've had and so many people testing at home. Um, we now have those uh, tests given to us by the government as well with, you know, four at-home tests for every address that came for many of us very, very quickly after we asked for a supply of them. So if you haven't, go ahead and ask for your supply to have those on hand. 
If you are having symptoms and test positive at home or if you test positive anywhere that your physician might not know about because you've been to a site or a commercial um, a pharmacy that has done the testing, notify your physician, even if you're in great health, because we want to be able to make sure that we have we want to be able to make sure that our physicians are aware and in the loop regarding what is going on. We are starting to see reports of uh, public officials changing their approaches to the coronavirus, to one that's more like how we treat the flu. Could Omicron shift the pandemic into an endemic? That's certainly the hope. Um, there are different ways that this can go as we look at different viruses epidemiologically over time. And, you know, the thing that makes this, you know, influenza-like is the possibility that we will continue to have variants that emerge that are contagious but not life-threatening, and we end up sort of living alongside, you know, Omic or we live alongside coronavirus, similar to the four or five strains of coronavirus that have circulated in this community and in the nation for years and years and years, the viruses that cause the common cold. There may be variants that cause uh, some additional problems, and those ones may require a variant-specific booster moving forward. But I envision the very real possibility that we can see numbers coming down Mm-hmm. over the next weeks to a month or so and getting into a spring and early summer where we have such a low level of transmitted virus and circulating virus that it'll give us ample time to really ramp up our therapeutics, get that Paxlovid and Molnipravir more accessible, more easily accessible, and go ahead and get, you know, medications like Citrovimab with a more reliable supply chain. And then when we have to deal with another surge or another peak up or something that comes about, you know, in the fall in a typical viral season, we'll have plenty of therapeutics and we can intervene very quickly. And that's my sincere hope. That was Dr. Mia Teramina, infectious disease specialist with Dooley Health and Care. Thank you again, doctor. Thank you. Up next, a special tribute to someone near and dear to Reset. Our senior producer and longtime WBEZ employee Steve Bynum is leaving the talk show to take on an important new role at this station, one that many organizations across the country are adding in recent years that is just ahead on Reset. But first, Sam Lay, a Chicago blues drummer and vocalist, has died. Here's Susie on with the latest. Thanks, Sasha. Lay played with celebrated musicians like Muddy Waters and Bob Dylan. Lay was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2015 as part of the Paul Butterfield Blues Band. Alligator Records says Lay died Saturday of natural causes in Chicago. He was 86. Russia accused the West of whipping up tensions over Ukraine and said the U.S. had brought pure Nazis to power in Kiev as the U.N. Security Council held a stormy debate on Moscow's troop buildup. U.S. Ambassador Linda Thomas-Greenfield shot back that Russia's growing military force of more than 100,000 troops along Ukraine's borders was the largest mobilization in Europe in decades. The harsh exchanges in the Security Council came as Moscow lost an attempt to block the meeting and reflected the gulf between the two nuclear powers. This is WBEZ News. I'm Scott Tong. A documentary producer marks a half century of asking deep and difficult questions inspired by this one. How do we hold on to our humanity in these times of relentless change and daunting challenge? Producer David Freudberg, next time on Here and Now. Two hours of Here and Now, this afternoon from 1 to 3 
on WBEZ. You place your trust in us to get it right, and we work with that trust first in mind. This is mission-minded journalism, and it's powered by voluntary donations. This is listener-supported WBEC. WBEZ is supported by Serta Sun Solar. Serta Sun helps homeowners install solar and navigate the new Illinois Solar Program. More at Certasun, C-E-R-T-A-S-U-N dot com slash W-B-E-Z. We are looking at cloudy skies today. Temperatures hovering in the lower 30s. Breezy at times with gusts as high as 30 miles per hour. This is W-B-E-Z. Want more context on the top issues of the day? Find the podcast, W-B-E-Z's Reset, wherever you listen.